you spend your Sundays looking for something fun to do, usually they're so drab and dull. <sighs> Boring. We have just the thing for you. November 28th, the Old Rock House and Rock Paper Podcast present Debstock 2021. Featuring music by Nick Gussman and the Coyotes. Screeching halts. Debstock 2021, November 28th from 3 to 7 at the Old Rock House, 1200 South 7th Street, St. Louis, Missouri. Tickets on sale at MetroTix.com. Debstock 2021, a benefit for glioblastoma brain cancer. Brought to you by Old Rock House and Rock Paper Podcast. Hey everybody, Shane Presley here, Rock Paper Podcast. Thank you for checking out another episode of the show. Today's features... Andrew Wonko of Missouri History Museum. Had a great time meeting Andrew over there at the museum and uh, getting to take a walk around their brand new St. Louis Sound exhibit. Uh, it was, it's really quite remarkable to see it all come together now and um, getting to learn a lot of new things and some uh, see some of my favorites and... Uh, it was just a really good time. It was a great day. So thank you to Andrew and the Missouri History Museum for having me out. And I uh, hope you enjoy our conversation. Do want to remind you, as always, Rock Paper Podcast is brought to you by Roughneck Beard Company and American Rambler. Located here in St. Louis, over in the Maplewood area on Manchester. Stop in and visit the shop or... Shop 24-7 at roughneckbeardcompany.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's officially beard season with fall and no-shave November right around the corner. This is prime time to grow a beard, and Roughneck Beard Company has you covered. Using a good beard oil from day one of growth sets the stage for faster, fuller, healthier growth. Avoid dry skin and the dreaded beard itch by combining with Roughneck's Genesis for a vitamin punch that really gets things moving. Stop in today or order online to build your kit and kick your growth into high gear. Find all this and more at roughneckbeardcompany.com. Use my code RPP15 for an exclusive 15% off your purchase. Uh, Of course, that includes all your favorite products over there, your beard oil, your beard balm, junk powder, or uh, they got the Roughneck Beard Batter back, so check that out too, one of my personal favorites. Uh, you can find it all again, roughneckbeardcompany.com. Don't forget that code RPP15 at checkout. Uh, and you heard it from Tony at the intro, uh, but I do want to remind you that we will be over at uh, the Old Rock House on November 28th for Debstock. Uh, obviously, this means uh, a lot to me, a very personal Um Losing my mother in uh, 2019 to glioblastoma brain cancer. 
And I'm just trying to do my part to help out some others in need, uh, bringing along a bunch of incredibly talented friends of mine in one-way traffic, Nick Gussman, the Screeching Halts, and Spankonia. And uh, it's going to be an incredible night. Tickets are $15 in advance, $20 at the door. And you can purchase those right now at MetroTix.com. You can find more information, videos, links, and everything at rockpaperpodcast slash debstock. So thank you, uh, everybody that's already helped support this. And uh, But let's pack it out. Let's uh, raise a bunch of money for a great cause and support some others in need. So I uh, hope to see you all there. Uh, if you need me, of course, you can always find me at rockpaperpodcast.com. Hit me up on the email, rockpaperpodcast at gmail, any of the socials, whatever it is, I would love to hear from you. With all that out of the way, sit back, relax, and enjoy a brand new episode with Andrew Wonko. Um, the podcast is kind of like a, it's like a radio show that's not on the radio. It's on, it's on the internet. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's also like my mom. Uh, it makes it sound more confusing, doesn't it? Uh, it sounds like this. This is Andrew Wonko, public historian of the Missouri History Museum, and you're listening to Rock Paper Podcast. Rock Paper Podcast. Scissors beat paper, paper covers rock. Rock beat scissors, Shane covers nonstop. Never know what new kind of guests that he's got coming at you. Live and direct on the spot could be rock, folk, country, or hip-hop, jazz. All kind of folks. Could be an artist or a comedian to make you laugh on the Double decker fudge round rolling round town Shane coming at you live and direct from ground zero He's your hero, he's your bestie Rock Paper Podcast with Shane Presley Rock Paper Podcast Hey everybody, Shane Presley here, Rock Paper Podcast, coming to you from St. Louis, Missouri, hanging out today with Andrew Wonko uh, over here at the Missouri History Museum here in St. Louis, and uh, this is uh, very cool, man. Thank you for doing this today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. This is uh, my first time actually in the History Museum. I've been seeing a lot of stuff online with this new exhibit that we're going to talk about with St. Louis Sound, and... um, uh, so I've been wanting to get down here and check it out because obviously I'm a super fan of St. Louis music and everything else going on around here. So, uh, but uh, so this might my finally got to get in here. I got to take the tour with you and got to have a lot of fun already today. So I'm glad that uh, this is all working out. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm glad you're here too. Um, St. Louis Sound is one of many exhibits that you know we rotate through all of these exhibits that tell the history of St. Louis in really big and exciting ways. We've done exhibits on Route 66, on Victorian life in St. Louis. We've done exhibits on civil rights in St. Louis, but this one is the first time we've ever taken a big, wide-angle look at all of St. Louis's popular music. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, this is this is new territory for us. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, I, I want to kind of start with a little bit of your story and and then we'll kind of i want to kind of get it more into it because uh you had a big part in all this so uh but i wanted to kind of go back a little bit about 
you like as far as growing up like what are you st louis always been home for you yeah so i I grew up here in st louis um my background is actually in architectural history and like neighborhood history and urban development and it was i was actually living in china right after i got out of college i couldn't it was you know 2010 nobody was hiring any architects at that time you know right after the 2008 uh financial crisis and so i spent a year living in china and while i was there i found a copy of a book called mapping decline it was written by Colin Gordon that sort of charts out what happened to St. Louis and why the city has seen such like a fragmented last 50 years and the sort of urban decay that has has really been a, such a hard thing for the city to deal with. And I was totally enraptured by the local history here. I was in China trying to learn everything I could about the place where I had spent most of my life. You know, like life can be weird that way. Um, So when I came back, I got involved, um, ended up getting a job here at the History Museum back in 2012. So I've worked on all sorts of other exhibits, many of them dealing with like architecture and, and you know, building history. Uh, but when, when we came up with the idea for St. Louis Sound, I was thrilled because I've always loved music in general. But in particular, I've always loved St. Louis music. You know, when you go through the exhibit, you'll see Nellie's Country Grammar music video. I can remember exactly where I was when I first saw that music video on Total Request Live back, back in 2000. Um, you know, it, it, all of these bands, you know, I, I've seen The Urge a half dozen times uh, throughout, you know, my teenage and college years. And I, I had these sort of moments uh, with with local bands that have been really influential within my life. But it was such a privilege to get to learn about all of these musicians that I didn't know so much about. People like Scott Joplin and even Tina Turner. You know, I she's famous. I didn't know her local St. Louis story, though. Um, so we, we really dove in deep with this exhibit and looked across the history of popular music in St. Louis, all the way back to the earliest moments of recorded sound in the late 1800s. So it was such a treat for me to be able to put these moments from my own life into a much wider context, you know, like Nellie fits into a bigger story about St. Louis. And what you see time and time again is no matter what genre you're talking about, St. Louis has a massive story to tell. And without this city, American music today would sound very different. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, my my story is f- fairly similar. Um, in a, but like I uh, my my big like real introduction it was into it was like through uh, through local bands of my my the guys I went to high school with and stuff. They started playing out a lot more and I kind of got my foot in the door with uh, meeting a lot of bands going. And then like I really dove into around that similar time I drove into like. The Urge and Stir and Modern Day Zero and a lot of like the St. Louis rock scene that, and the, of the previous generation, kind of like, but I was just like, I listened to, but I never got to see those guys live and right. stuff. But it was like, I missed uh, out on seeing, you know, we were talking earlier, you know, The Urge and Mississippi Nights and all those stories that, of, you know, legend in uh, now in St. Louis. And, um, but like, so I was kind of just on the, just uh too young for to experience it all live but uh so i kind of learned history myself with like through meeting these guys now doing the show uh getting to kind of go back through some of those stories firsthand through the with the bands and getting to talk about kind of archive some of that stuff and uh so it's been fun to kind of live out my a childhood dream kind of stuff through this yeah, I'm right there with you. And that's the that's the really cool thing that I realized over the course of doing all this research was that 
the same moments you're talking about here, like there, there were these places in these bands that sort of a local scene congealed around in a really exciting way. And we sort of, I, I share that, that same like frustration that I was too young to have seen some of these. Right. Like you, you hear about the stories people tell about some of these bands and how exciting it was to be there. And when you look back through the genres and through the eras of, of St. Louis music, you realize that all of these genres had these kind of places, like all the way back to ragtime, there was a place called the Rosebud Cafe, and it was the center of St. Louis's ragtime world. It was right across the street from Union Station before that was all cleared out in like the urban renewal schemes of the of mid-century. There was actually a whole saloon district right there next to Union Station called Chestnut Valley, and the Rosebud Cafe was sort of like the, the son of the St. Louis ragtime solar system. Everybody crowded around this place. You had big national stars stopping in there. And when I love to look back at these eras of the past and really try to get that sense. What, what was this place like? It wasn't just that this music was being made here. It's that there was a very specific neighborhood and very specific people who were sort of big actors in making this all happen. So we tried to tell those deeper stories in the exhibit of places like Chestnut Valley. Uh, for blues music in the 30s, it was a neighborhood called Deep Morgan, which also doesn't exist anymore today. Gaslight Square in the 1960s. You, ha you constantly have these neighborhoods where things are happening in really big, exciting ways. And that's pretty cool that, yeah, you can like locate Mississippi Nights and some of these other places that are much more recent mm -hmm. in with that wider scope of history. What do you, do you what do you think? Like, do you think it was just like a, a certain group of people that kind of helped curating that in that particular neighborhood? Or why do you think like there was like so like so much of that that particular pocket right there where where the hub of it all? It's It's fascinating because you get these glimpses into much wider history. You know, we, we start off talking about music history, but you end up talking about much wider social and cultural aspects. So I think one of the big reasons, uh, like for instance, Ragtime in Chestnut Valley, Union Station was the heart of the city in the 1890s and early 1900s. If you were coming to St. Louis, you came here by train. There were no cars on the, on the roads of St. Louis yet. Um, and so you would get off at Union Station and walk across the street. And as train stations tend to do, they collected this sort of world of bars and saloons and what they then called sporting houses, which we would now call brothels. Uh, and all of this stuff was right there sort of surrounding the train station because you had a constant stream of people coming and going, looking for time to kill. So they'd head over to a bar. So that that tended to be where where music flourishes throughout history. These are always the kind of spots where you see exciting musical things happening because you have a lot of people coming and going. So for ragtime, it was all of these musicians sort of they got off the train, they could walk right across the street and they'd be in this mix of people all all doing these really exciting things. And, you know, when you get a lot of creativity in one place like that, it sort of creates a critical mass so people like Scott Joplin, he's you know easily the most famous ragtime musician today. He was one of many, uh, you know, dozens of people who made St. Louis their home and were publishing uh, tons of different ragtime compositions here. The proprietor of the Rosebud Cafe was a guy named Tom Turpin. He was the first black, um, you know, first African American to actually publish his own rag in 1897, a rag called the Harlem Rag. So he was sort of like. The, the living proof to all of these younger ragtime musicians that you could do this, like you could actually get a piece of music published. So he became almost like a father figure to the world of ragtime music in St. Louis. 
so again it's like you it's really amazing to sort of rebuild these these musical neighborhoods that once existed here right i was like always uh you know and thinking about the blues also in that in that by how like um i kind of always was told like uh you know everything kind of started in the delta and like people gradually came up the mississippi uh and st louis was kind of just a natural stop on that uh trip they come up here to and kind of call st louis home and develop the blues and what it was it was here and stuff yeah absolutely so you, if you look at the 1920s and 30s in st louis there are dozens and dozens of blues musicians um, some of them were from here we had plenty of homegrown talent that mm-hmm. was you know born and raised in st louis but then you had tons of other people just like you said coming up uh, they, they had this movement that became known as the Great Migration, where thousands of Southern African-Americans left behind, um, you know, rural tenant farms, which offered very little opportunity to sort of build a better life. And they headed north for cities like St. Louis and Chicago and Detroit, where they could get jobs in large industrial factories uh, that paid much better and sort of, you know, had a, had a chance of building a much better life for themselves. So naturally, a lot of musicians came along with them. Or people who were working in factories by day and they would, you know, pick up their guitars and go play in the in the bars and saloons of St. Louis at night. So some of these musicians were huge. There's a guy named Petey Wheatstraw. He called himself the high sheriff of hell. This dude knew a thing or two about PR even back in the in the early days of the recording industry. What a name. Man. Yeah. <laughs> He, Petey Wheatstraw was one of the five most recorded blues musicians in the entire country before World War II, despite almost never leaving his home of St. Louis. He recorded more than 160 record sides. You know, he was a hugely popular and influential blues musician. A lot of historians think that Robert Johnson, who is seen as the quintessential Delta blues musician, mm-hmm. uh, you know, actually kind of borrowed a lot of stuff from Petey Wheatstraw, even the devil at the crossroads that you can sort of see where Petey Wheatstraw was using that same sort of Uh, same sort of mythology here in St. Louis. And so it's fascinating though, because he's not a name that is talked about much in blues music today. Um, A lot of those early musicians kind of have been overlooked by the people who have come since. Uh, But when you really look deeper at the, at the music scene that was happening here, you know, we had people like Henry Townsend and Robert Nighthawk and the Sparks brothers who actually wrote every day. I have the blues, which BB King has made his like theme song, uh, you know, for most of his career, that was a St. Louis based song. Um, We have tons and tons of really fascinating local history. Mm -hmm. It can be hard to access though, because similar to ragtime, the neighborhoods where this was taking place are now completely gone. You know, they were sort of on the fringes of downtown St. Louis. At their in their own time, they were seen as little more than sort of you know slums and and neighborhoods to be avoided. Um, and it's a shame that we have lost all of them since, because if they were still here, we would have a much deeper understanding of of the local blues history that we really did have here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, even um, in my own town, like, you know, you see how everything's changed over, you know, from when I was, even when I was a kid growing up and, like, uh, how much of it's developed, everything, you know, there was all these fields or whatever and everything, everything's now neighborhoods and everything, you know, it's just like, uh, yeah. it's just crazy watching how, how the uh, the time uh, changes everything and yeah, so. and especially in St. Louis, there's, you know, there are a few cities that have had the urban fabric more, um, you know, 
radically altered in the last hundred years. It's pretty amazing when you look back at sort of what used to be in some of these places and just how dramatic the changes have been. And unfortunately, that, that's been one of the side effects is that we've lost a lot of that connection to our music history mm-hmm. because the places just aren't there anymore. Well, you, you guys did an amazing job of like collecting quite a few artifacts that, uh, that we have preserved. Uh, you know, you, like I said, down here at St. Louis Sound exhibit uh, in the Missouri History Museum, uh, you can come in and like you said, some of these are on loan uh, and uh, for the exhibit. Uh, and, but I mean, just like some one of a kind pieces of history for sure. Yeah, we have some really incredible stuff in the museum's permanent collections. Um, you know, we have a huge collection of artifacts here. And we have like Johnny Johnson's piano, Henry Townsend's piano, uh, the stage clothing of Ron Townsend of the Fifth Dimension. That's all part of our permanent collections. But to really make this the robust, all-encompassing experience we knew it needed to be, we had to reach deep into the music community and search for these things, you know, among private collectors. And the people who actually lived this history, a lot of times were who I ended up talking to uh, and looking for artifacts that they had, you know, just tucked away in their basements or somewhere. So, you know, things like Tina Turner's dress from The Tonight Show, um, Josephine Baker's dress that we have on display, those, those are loaned objects that came from the wider community. And every exhibit we do here is a, a collaboration between the museum and the community. You know, we, we rely on the surrounding community for these stories and to, and to give us the richness that we need to make these things come to life. But this one really redefined that. You yeah. know, I, I could not believe how generous people were, you know, how willing they were to share their personal history, both the artifacts and just the stories. You know, people were telling me some of these people I would sit and talk with for hours and hours and they would just have so much to tell me. It became obvious pretty quickly. There was no way we're, we were going to get it all in. St. Louis just has way too much incredible music. Mm-hmm. So we tried our best to get a really wide array of artifacts, again, from the earliest moments of recorded sound all the way up to pieces from Mississippi Nights, which came down in 2007. Yeah, you showed me, uh, I guess it's kind of the the first thing you see when you walk in, where it starts at the very beginning, but the uh, tinfoil uh, recorder. Yeah. Yes, that is such a fascinating story. And one that I, you know, as we do this research for these exhibits, we oftentimes come across stories that we didn't know existed. And that was definitely one for me. Uh, So a couple years ago, I was just looking at a random article on The Atlantic, and it was about the oldest existing American sound recording that we can still hear today and how they have preserved it and how they actually like got the sound off of this piece of tinfoil. Uh, and then halfway through the article, it says it was made in St. Louis on June 22nd, 1878. And my eyes got huge. Right. Like, what? It was right here? So I actually called the uh, Museum of Innovation and Science in upstate New York, which is who permanently holds this tinfoil. And they were happy to loan it to us for display, which, you know, just amazed me. It gave me goosebumps the first time I, I knew we were going to have this thing here in St. Louis for people to see. So the story there is in 1877, Thomas Edison invents the phonograph, which is the first device to record and playback sound. And the way it worked was you hand cranked this uh, machine and sort of shouted towards a cylinder with a piece of tinfoil wrapped around it. And a little needle would scratch the sound vibrations from your voice onto the tinfoil. So if you're like me, like I can't get a piece of tinfoil off of the wrapper in my kitchen (laughs) without it turning into a crumpled mess. So it's amazing that this thing has survived all these years and is in good enough quality that we can actually extract the recording from it. 
As far as I know, there are just two playable quality tinfoils in all of the United States. This is one of them. The other one's in the collection of the Henry Ford Museum in Detroit. So it's an incredibly rare artifact, literally from the earliest baby steps into recorded sounds existence. So, I mean, just think about like what that means. Every recorded sound you and I have ever heard in our lives can trace back to this thing as a sort of common ancestor. Mm -hmm. Like I can't imagine my life without recorded sound. So to think that this thing is sort of the, the earliest moments, nobody knew sort of what the music industry would become or how popular music would explode in a million different directions right. and all these genres. This is really the the very edge of all of that happening. And it yeah. again, it gives me goosebumps when I really think about like how significant that is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty wild stuff, yeah. man. I mean, there's all I was having those kind of moments the whole time walking through there. Just like it's I don't know. It's just really neat to see it all, you know, encompassed in one room like that to where you, you start really kind of blows your mind a little bit to think about what was created here in St. Louis, first of all, and then like what it's how the, the ripple effect it's made across history uh, since then. But I mean, like you're walking through, you guys have like the, um, you also have like a display of from earliest recordings of, uh, you know, vinyl records and everything to, right. to think about to the, even to the iPod and everything else. And like how the, that's all weird for me to think about too, like how much, the technology's changed, the, the size, everything went from being, uh, uh, you know, huge to tiny. And then like, now we're going back to vinyl yeah. and stuff. And, and, and like now we're at the point where music is essentially invisible. Like right. it's, it's just streaming yeah. and floating in the air, but people are resurrecting some of these older mediums mm -hmm. for the things that they can't get from streaming. So it's interesting to think about like, where is music headed next? Right. It's, it's a open-ended question that I'm sure no matter what it turns out to be, will surprise us yeah yeah but yeah I, I was uh i had a lot of fun walking through there through the exhibit with you and you can come down um tuesday through sunday the, we are closed on mondays uh but it is a free exhibit into st louis sound and you can come in and experience it all yourself there's a ton of information there and so that's the best part the price is right the exhibit is absolutely free so you can come back time and time again you can take it in small chunks or you can come read everything all at once uh, but we're so excited. I think we are offering people a, you know, a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame quality uh, exhibit, a, a Grammy Museum quality exhibit. And if you go to those places you, for a family of four, you'll easily spend a hundred dollars to to go through and see these things. So it's so thrilling to me that we're able to offer St. Louis its own story for free. We can welcome in the public and really let them know what an exciting city that, that this is and how crucial we are to St. Louis's or to, to the United States, uh, musical heritage. We, mm -hmm. St. Louis is a really important place. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, you know, not, to toot my own horn, but that's really like the gist of the show is like, was me like, I mean, I, I, I don't ever, I don't put a stamp on it that it's St. Louis music because I like to keep it open to uh, a variety of people that I've become friends with over the years. But mm -hmm. really, that's the the backbone of this show is uh, St. Louis music and all my friends around town. So uh, I, I've been trying to do my part for the last seven and a half years of like shining a light on what we have uh, here in town. We have people, a lot of people, you know, these are not household 
home, you know, common names uh, a lot of times because, which, but in my opinion, they should be. These people are, there's all, all sorts of amazing things happening here in St. Louis Absolutely. that go overlooked all, a lot. So. And a lot of the, a lot of these musicians are the people who I, they, they aren't just musicians. A lot of them are historians themselves. I was getting a lot of this information and research from local musicians who are really keeping these sounds alive and reinterpreting them for new things in the future. So that was really exciting to me to get a glimpse into the wider music community as it is today. And I hope this exhibit helps to not just shine a light on our past, but also get people interested in St. Louis's musical future because yeah. it is bright. Oh, yeah. yeah. I feel like we're on a telethon. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Phone lines are lighting up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, man. It's, uh, so I, I agree with you. Like, cause that's, uh, again, doing the show. Uh, I love having, I've had, uh, like Alonzo Townsend, you know, on, uh, again, he's a living, yeah. breathing piece of history cause he's gets to t- tell me the stories firsthand about his dad. And, uh, and I always, I find it fascinating, man, just to kind of get, yeah. get it right from the source like that. And that's one of my favorite artifacts. We have, um, Alonzo's father, Henry Townsend, we have his piano on display and Alonzo was who donated it to us, uh, back in 2008. And when it came to us, it was actually in badly damaged conditions. Somebody had broken into Henry Townsend's house after he died and basically vandalized the house. Um, so the, somebody sprayed a fire extinguisher across the front of the piano. You know, it's heartbreaking to see it. Like you get this incredible piece from this absolute legend of blues music here locally and and such a thoughtless act like caused so much damage. Right. So um, Alonzo Townsend and Marquise Knox, who he works with a lot, uh, we actually hosted a fundraiser concert at BB's Jazz Blues and Soups that they put together and, you know, raised money to help conserve the piano. Like that was, that's such a special moment to me because we're not just, we're not just looking at this history from a distance. We're actually like, you know, building new things here in town and, and talking to the people who are making it happen again, you know, carrying on Henry Townsend's legacy. Marquise Knox is an, just one of countless incredible yeah. blues musicians uh, that have called St. Louis home, no matter what era you're looking yeah. at. And to think that he is he is part of that lineage that stretches all the way back to the earliest moments of blues music as we know it. Right. That is fascinating. Yeah. I, uh, I, don't know, I think about it a lot. Like, uh, and this just goes to show like the mo- a lot of people, com- you know, the common people around town aren't, aren't really as informed about our history and stuff and I, but i had a buddy uh asked me one time he goes uh you know he said like, hey do we have like, uh, any good blues st. Lu- st uh any blues music in town and i'm like yeah dude uh yeah, we, we have a we named a hockey team after right. it. you know like <laughs> we you know it's a very big part of uh so i gave him uh, a quick uh little lesson and i you know yeah. i told him like it, of course, and now it's closed. But Beale on Broadway was also another favorite of mine. We're right. uh, getting to see a lot of great St. Louis blues down there on BBs, and of course, uh, we we don't have as many um, of these bars and and uh, venues like we talked about uh, that really uh, preserve the blues. But like, I mean, of course, those are two of my favorites uh, in town. And when, if you talk, I, th- I think we take it for granted here what we do have. Like, if you talk to other people who come to visit St. Louis, mm-hmm. they're talking about you're, oh, you're yeah. down there seeing world class musicians on a Tuesday night, right. like any right. night of the week, there's incredible music happening around town. But yeah, we really need to, we need to spend more time showing the world mm-hmm. um, just how incredible it is here. Cause I think, 
I think few places can probably match the the scope of music that we have here, especially like a mid a mid sized city. You know, sure. we're we're competing with some much bigger cities than us. Yeah. Well, Marquise is trying to do his part. I know yeah. he, he's been out there. Uh, he's he's incredible. He's a very talented young man, and uh, getting. I mean, he got to open up some shows with ZZ Top out there. You know, putting uh, you know his stamp on St. Louis uh, history and stuff too. So, uh, I just think that's really a cool opportunity for him to get out there and, and continue to spread his word. And, um, but yeah, I, I'm a big fan and, and Alonzo's, uh, become a great friend over the years. And like, it's just really cool to see those two working together and doing big things and making, put clean, you know, putting St. Louis on the map, you know, for us. And this whole experience was so cool for me because I, you know, my background isn't in music. I've never been a part of the music community in any way other than just liking it. You know, mm-hmm. I've always been just like the guy in the audience. So I got to meet so many people and like get a taste of the local music community and and really like go a little deeper than I ever have before. And it was it's just fascinating, like the stuff that we have here. And again, everyone was so generous, no matter what genre, no matter what era we're talking about. People yeah. always were happy to share with me. And it felt like a family. Yeah. That's my favorite part is that everybody, uh, how genuine and, and nice and just welcoming everybody is. Like, uh, you know, I've met some of the, some lifelong friends through doing the show and everybody's, you know, so many great people. So definitely. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, what, what do you think uh, when you, when you're cur- curating all of this and you're going around asking, you know, talking to some of these folks and gathering these things, like what do you have a particular uh, piece that you're, you, you, uh, I mean, we talked, obviously the tinfoil is a huge one, and uh, but is there, was a certain thing or anything that you really like geeked out about the most uh, or anything? The tinfoil was a huge moment. Uh, the, the Josephine Baker dress that we have on display really was like, again, talk about something that I got goosebumps when I first right. saw it. She is such a huge, important figure internationally. You know, she was just, you know, she's still getting honors and still being talked about today and all the things she did. I just couldn't believe, you know, I feel like you get a little jaded working at a museum like this. You see cool stuff a lot. And so it's, it's easy to be like, Oh yeah, there's, there's Meriwether Lewis's telescope or there's, you know, something else. But that was one of those moments where it like took my breath away when I saw that dress for the first time and realized Josephine Baker once wore this and she, you know, she was the guest of honor someplace and this is what she chose to wore. Or chose to wear. Um, that was a really cool one. But then I also love those artifacts from the more local musicians who didn't have that sort of international fame like that. Mm-hmm. So one of my favorites is a homemade skateboarding crew jacket that was uh, made by Tim Jameson of Ultraman, who were a hardcore punk band from St. Louis in the 80s. And he talked so much when we met about just how radical it was to like anything that wasn't cachey, anything that wasn't mainstream in, in the early 1980s in St. Louis. And like, he would, he would literally have people like throwing sodas at him while he was skateboarding down the street. And I just think about for, for those sorts of stories, these were people who, who didn't have that sort of international fame backing them up. They were just doing what they believed to be true. And oftentimes their life was a little more difficult (laughs) because Mm -hmm. of it. And so like thinking about him, actually like making this jacket in his bedroom as like a 15, 16 year old kid and being brave enough to go out and wear it. And like, you know, he had this local scene of people he was involved with who were doing this sort of stuff. I, what, what it means to, to showcase those sorts of things too, sure. that these were, these were people who were 
believed so strongly in this music and the things they were a part of, how important a part of their life it was. I love those sorts of stories and, and those sorts of artifacts. I, those often stick with me just as much as, you know, seeing Miles Davis's trumpet or Chuck Berry's guitar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that uh, you, you mentioned that because uh, the exhibit, exhibit is also all encompassing. Like it's uh, we've, we've, you know, just in this conversation, we've talked mostly about the blues and jazz and ragtime and like, cause there is a lot of ri- rich uh, history of, of that in St. Louis here. Uh, and, but of course it is also, uh, you said there's, punk uh, part of it there's a rock and roll there's you know the of course chuck berry and ike and tina turner coming out there's right. uh there's um even yeah, okay. stuff of the roots of uh origins of country music here and and uh and then uh even to uh hip-hop and uh coming out of and gospel and everything else coming out of st louis so we knew right away that we were not going to be able to include everything it right. was it was a losing fight to think that we were somehow going to include all of the music st louis yeah, has ever sure. made you know i said even if we had 10 galleries we still would come up short there's just too much Equally, we didn't want this just to be a hall of fame with, you know, some people in and some people out where we're only focusing on the biggest names who had the most success. We wanted to treat this exhibit almost like a well-crafted album. You've got some greatest hits. You've got some deeper cuts, some novelty tunes, some unexpected stuff. We wanted a little bit of everything to sort of give a sense of St. Louis's richness. So it isn't just those genres that we are widely recognized in, like ragtime and the blues and even rock and roll. It's stuff like country music and punk rock and hip hop long before Nelly. There are huge stories to be told there, even though that's those aren't genres that St. Louis oftentimes gets mentioned in when you're talking about like a national scale look at, at country music or punk rock. So we wanted the, we wanted to really give that wide sense of what is here, both the famous stuff you've heard of and the, the not so famous that you might not have heard of. So it, it definitely, when people come, you know, the first thing they're going to say is, I can't believe this person isn't in here. Yeah. I can't believe this person isn't in here. But I think that's just as, that's just goes to show how much incredible music we have. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always more that we could have talked about. There are always, you know, huge bands that, that didn't get the fair representation they deserved probably in this exhibit. But that's just the nature of what, of what we're trying to do. We're trying to cram a thousand pounds yeah. of St. Louis sound into a small container. Yeah. So we wanted to think of it almost like an, this is your introduction to the city's music. You can come spend an hour here, have a great time, and then go out and explore more on your own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think one of my favorite parts, uh, the most uh, surprising, I, I would I guess, uh, was to learn that uh, you, were t- you mentioned the hip hop long before Nelly uh, was uh, to find a picture of Tom Papa Ray. That's there. right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And which, uh, you know, anybody that doesn't know, Tom's the uh, owner and uh, operator of uh, Down at Vintage Vinyl. And, and I've, of course, I've seen, seen him around at all sorts of different stuff and uh, through over the years. And, but, um, you know, not, I just uh, didn't know that it existed and stuff, but I see him, I guess he helped uh, finance or one of the first uh, hip hop records out of St. Louis or something. Yeah. So we wanted to talk, you know, Nelly breaks huge in the 2000s and puts, St. Louis hip hop becomes a thing nationally. Mm-hmm. And there's all these artists who come out after him, Chingy, Jaquan, Huey. It's sort of like hit after hit coming out of St. Louis. But, you know, two decades before that, we already had exciting hip hop culture going on here, even though the sort of the St. Louis story is Nelly breaks St. Louis hip hop huge. So we wanted to focus in on that earlier 
um, hip hop history as well. And so one of the first ever releases from a local hip hop artist was uh, Dangerous D and DJ Charlie Chan. They had, they had a record called Power of Soul. And they were two teenagers from University City High School. And they walked into Vintage Vinyl one day and basically like with the utmost confidence said, we, we have an awesome hip hop record and you're going to make it for us. And Tom and Lou Price, then the co-owner of Vintage Vinyl, they were so impressed. They, they said, we'll do it. So they pressed this record. They only made like 500 copies. You know, it never really got anywhere beyond the St. Louis region. But it's such an important moment, like the, the, those really early moments of what was happening here, because it goes to show that we had exciting musicians making making all sorts of great music here, even if the record labels headquartered on the coasts weren't looking for them. You know, that's really the issue for a lot of these. It, it isn't that we didn't have the scenes. We didn't have the artists. It's that nobody from record labels was looking at St. Louis in the right. 1980s uh, for much of anything. It was uh, it was all New York or Los Angeles. So it's pretty it's pretty cool to see that uh, at least a little bit of that did make it onto vinyl and we can actually still hear it today. Yeah. But that's those are my I love those stories because right. that's stuff people probably haven't heard much about before and it's it paints a much more robust picture of hip hop in St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course you like you said Nelly blew it up big time and like I even um I can't, maybe, I don't know. I don't, not, I'm not going to say I'm like the first or anything, but, uh, I do, I think for my group of friends, like we were kind of some of the early ones to get a hold of Nelly because, uh, uh, I have a, um, a buddy whose brother was, uh, helped produce some of the beats and stuff that, uh, appear on country grammar and, you know, and says, so, uh, so he was involved in the creation of some of this and like, and, um, so I remember getting like the sampler of like with country grammar and um, I think like Greed, Hate, and Envy. Yeah. And so like it was long before the actual record came out. It was just like a little sampler, uh, three song sampler disc. And and I remember like this song is great. This is, gonna, you know, and then all of a sudden like the next summer it's like you can't. Well, it's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. It, you know, yeah. so. I had the same experience. You know, it's like I remember exactly when that came out and it just took over. And again, you see that time and time again with St. Louis artists. These aren't just artists that got popular, you know, like Tina Turner, Chuck Berry, all the way back to Scott Joplin, Miles Davis. Nelly, they didn't just get popular. They completely redefined genres like after them. Nothing is the same. Yeah. You know, Nelly is one of the biggest hip hop stars. And we had this whole entire sound that sort of came out. Um, that sort of St. Louis bounce sound. It just dominated everything through the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was fascinating. Like, we're not just talking about popular musicians. We're talking about musicians that changed things to come. Like every sure. guitarist since has had to answer to Chuck Berry <laughs> in some way or another. You know, Miles Davis is undeniably if not the most famous jazz musician of, of all time, one of the top few. So it's really amazing when you look at that, how we, how we change genres. I mentioned early on, I feel like the America would sound very different if St. Louis did not exist. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, so just yesterday I watched, uh, Cruella. Yeah. I don't know if you've uh, seen that one yet, but, uh, I've been hearing a lot of, uh, it's a great movie, but the soundtrack, that's what everybody's like. The soundtrack's amazing. Like, and so I finally watched the movie and checked out the soundtrack and, uh, I was really, um, surprised, uh, you know, and, and really loved it. But uh, there's two I Tina and Turner songs on it. Uh, and they're covers of 
Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love, and the Beatles come together. Nice. And I mean, I, I like I know some Tina Turner, obviously, and stuff, but I actually I never heard those two recordings. Yeah. And so it was really cool to see them. Uh, you know, uh, also put on that kind of a scale, put on a, a major movie, you know, Cruella and everything else like, uh, but it was fun to hear those recordings and hear those songs. And, and uh, of course, like getting to walk through and see him on the, on the, in the exhibit and stuff too. So, yeah. And, you know, like talk about someone who completely changed the sound to come. She really did as much as the Rolling Stones or some of these other bands, she defined the sound of rock and roll. Um, you know, like her first record was a fool in love with um with ike turner where she was actually singing the lead vocals it was recorded right here in st louis at technosonic studios um when (laughs) the owner of sue records who produced the the song when he first heard it he said her voice sounded like screaming dirt (laughs) like that's such a visual uh (laughs) explanation for me but really, like no one else was sounding like that. Right. And then the the visuals to match it—that she she was this tornado of whipped hair and miniskirt—and it's just an incredible musician and incredible stage presence that she had. And again, like came right out of North St. Louis and started her career here. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty wild to think about. Mm-hmm. Like, I think of um, you know I grew up in uh, Wentzville area, and um, I don't know that Chuck like spent a lot of time there, but I. I shared a property line with Chuck Berry. At, oh, uh, yeah, his at, compound up there. Yeah, yeah. and, like, so it was, uh, you know, I never, like, met the man at all. I just I always thought it was cool that I, you know, was that close to rock and roll history and stuff. Like, having, Yeah. I got to see him perform twice um, over the years, and uh, so I'm thankful that I saw a living, breathing piece of rock and roll history and stuff. And yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I've I've since become friendly with his uh, grandson, uh, Charlie Berry the Third, and you know, so it's kind of fun too. Again, like the uh, same thing with Alonzo, getting to kind of still celebrate that legacy and that uh, you know th- lineage of uh, me, you know getting to know those guys and stuff. And um, so it's a lot of fun, man. But I uh, I remember um, uh, thinking about Chuck. Like, I've heard stories of like uh, from over the years, like. Uh, a guy I went to we used to work with he was telling me like all about parties like apparently like that was you know uh, there was a there was a great story in the um, George Thorogood uh, song uh, back to Wentzville and he says cruising highway Z my coupe de ville and it's like apparently that's all about going out to Chuck's house to party and Man. stuff and like so I think that's fun too that I, I live on highway Z and I you know it's like so there's it's all my home is all represented on a, in the song and stuff and like rock famous now yeah. <laughs> and then uh but like a guy I used to work with told me it's like when he was a stu- uh, kid like he would go out to he would go party and in, in this it was like the 70s or whatever and like he said like you know seeing keith richards out there and i was just like for me when i grew up in winsfield there was nothing there it was just like some boring little town and i was just like so weird to think about that like Keith Richards and Chuck Berry and everybody partying here in St. Louis Hang or in, in Wentzville and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, so crazy to think about the, the, you know what, but that's, uh, that's sort of the fun. Again, I tell that because that's how I feel about St. Louis. I kind of started coming to St. Louis, uh, getting to, you know, see these certain bands. And I kind of like, I just kind of thought when, when I was growing up here, like this is a kind of a boring town, nothing really going on. And I realized quickly that I, I was way off. I had no idea what I was talking about. Yeah. And like, but when you're when you're young, you, know, you have no, rec- you know, 
you're not really aware of all this and like so that's what's been super cool about the, you know even this exhibit to a greater scale of that but like getting to discover so much and then like learning the history like you know there's really so many amazing things happened and currently happening in st louis and uh, there there really are and and yeah and i think that's you know i share some of that too like as a as a kid you don't realize sort of the the richness around you yeah. so you have a pretty limited worldview and i think every every kid probably thinks wherever they come from is boring yeah, no matter sure. where it is yeah. uh but i had that same you know, mine started with architecture, right. uh, you know, another subject where St. Louis has a wealth of incredible things to see. Um, and it was cool to, that music is is very similar for me in, in that sense. Like, I didn't realize what was here. I grew up in Afton, sort of in a pretty plain, you know, suburban house. And I would take, when I was a teenager and finally got my driver's license, I would take these little trips into the city and just like marvel at the buildings i couldn't believe like why do they look like this they look so different from where i come from right. uh, in south county and it really is you know like we have so much here and there's such richness and depth you know st louis is an old city and we've seen we've seen the highest highs and lowest lows and we've we've you know had a little bit of everything and i think that is made for a very rich place that uh, I think a lot of people take for granted. And I, I hope more people will realize just what we have here because it, it's a fascinating place and I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, music's one. We've got uh, so much, uh, you know, food and everything. I mean, there's like so much to celebrate here in St. Louis. And yeah. I think this is uh, this St. Louis Sound exhibit is a, gra a big, you know, uh, flag, you know, like for everything. and just represent everything that we great about st louis music and it's a good uh like i was saying earlier it's a good uh introduction if nothing else because hopefully that'll inspire people to keep digging and, and find their own stories that, okay. along the way that's what we hope yeah but uh again come out tuesday through sunday free uh exhibit uh open till 5 p.m and uh you can come out and check it all out and take a, take the tour and uh, get to i mean get to celebrate all of the, the history museum too but yeah yeah, and we do have a huge lineup of really fascinating programming, too. Uh, so we have all sorts of events going on from, like, concerts in the museum to more, like, educational lecture type of stuff. Uh, the whole entire year this is going to be up. It doesn't close until January of 2023. That whole time we're planning on doing some really exciting events and programs here. And you can find all of those at www.mohistory.org. We have a big events calendar where you can look ahead for some of the cool stuff we have coming up. Yeah. But it's obviously an exhibit that lends itself to doing a lot of fun oh, events yeah. Yeah. so we're hoping to hoping to get loud here and uh, get some concerts going and do some really cool stuff yeah you were saying that like uh you've you've had some of these the people in the exhibit like uh, uh bob heil came out and like you, you I, I just think that's cool that they're also excited about like you know the being a part of this and stuff like, that that's what's so fun too the people i've gotten to meet you know murphy lee did a concert on the lawn to yeah. open the exhibit and i got to meet him and walk through the exhibit with murphy lee and uh yeah bob heil art dwyer was in here the other day um you know the founder of the soulard blues band he's been on kdhx for more than 30 years and it was cool just walking through with him and like right. he, you get to hear people's reminiscences and you know, the, the things they remember from these time periods john hewlett i got to bring through the exhibit already so yeah i'm hoping to only meet even sure. more cool people as this is open yeah man <laughs> uh, it's gonna be uh 
I forgot about the, yeah, the guys had the uh, kind of kickoff uh, concert, uh, out the, the Funky Bud Brass Band and all yeah. that, uh, a bunch of my friends out there. So we had a great weekend. That whole entire weekend was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, I missed out on that. That was, I was, uh, traveling, but, uh, that would have been a good party for sure. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, no, I, uh, I can't wait to see what else comes, uh, with all this and what, what other, you know, exciting, a lot of great events coming up. So get involved and, uh, come out and learn a little bit more about some St. Louis sound over here. But Andrew, I thank you uh, so much for doing this, man. It's been a lot of fun getting to meet you and getting to share some stories. And uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Yeah? Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Rock Paper Podcast. Rock Paper Podcast. Rock Paper Podcast. Rock Paper Podcast. Well, yeah, that was it.